Hello and welcome to Show Me The Money, the podcast that looks at the business side of movies and TV with Jess Robinson and Stephen Follows. Hello, Stephen Follows. How are you? I'm all right. Oh so Stephen, mm-hmm. Stephen's a mm-hmm. bit grumpy. Mm-hmm. Uh, yep. This is the final episode. Him? Yeah, it's the final episode of Show Me The Money <laughs> for, now. for now. Season one. Season one. Season one is, this is the finale. Stephen is going to be back in uh, season two in a few weeks time, but I'm not going to be there. I'm terribly sorry, everybody. Um, You're going to be in Edinburgh, right? Doing your all your different voices. I'm going to be in your... Edinburgh doing everything, which uh, if any of you lovely people would like to come and see, it's 9.20 at the Pleasance Courtyard. Come and see my deep fake Olivia Coleman. <laughs> which uh, I've been hearing things about, actually. We were just saying, so I was talking to uh, Alice Fraser, the comedian, uh, last week, and she said, oh, there's this amazing comedian doing this thing about, and I was like, oh, it's Jess. So yes. very cool, uh, the, isn't it? I'm is glad that it's sort of... Getting out there. Yeah, that's amazing to me. <laughs> <laughs> no extra pressure I've at all. I have had time to tell many people apart from on this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> but you have done it though, right? It is ready. Yes. Like, okay, good. Yes. I've just been working with it for the last week and it is absolutely amazing. And we have to play because my impression is so good. But also the deep fake is, is so sort of convincing. We have to play an outtakes thing uh, at the end, <laughs> as people it. are going out, of me without my Olivia Coleman deep fake on, which is basically me just fucking up every single line and swearing <laughs> a lot. <laughs> Mum was not impressed. An explosion of swearing! <laughs> How could you? So, yeah. Um, but it, I'm really, I am really, 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 really excited about it. So, well, everything, everything crossed. crossed. Fingers crossed. Yeah, thank yeah, fingers crossed, definitely. I'm sure it'll go well. Can't wait to see thank it. You, thank you, thank you. So, yes, I'll be very, very sad not to be back, but um, I know that you'll find someone gorgeous and fantastic and you yourself are gorgeous and fantastic and um, it's just really lucky, I think, for the listeners that it's not you leaving and me left to explain everything. <laughs> I don't know, the show might get more entertaining, more podcast. voices. It might turn into something far more successful. I don't know. We'll have to see. Uh, well, if you want you... something like that, just listen to my podcast, Stars in Your Ears. That's just, that's there just we go. me I can't believe with my band. I can't believe we've waited that long to, to plug that. But yes, that have does Have we not exist. already plugged it? I don't think we have. Certainly not to the level that we've mentioned Edinburgh. So yeah, you oh. do it one more time. What is the show? It's called Stars in Your Ears. It won a British Podcast Award in 2021, and it's me and my band, and we get celebrities on and teach them how to do different impressions, and it's very fun. Amazing. Well, Maybe if we do another series, if I ever get any time ever again, then um, you'll be first on our list. I, I really don't think me bringing my spreadsheets and lack of performing ability will improve, but I'll definitely come along. <laughs> oh, that's exactly some... what we want. <laughs> Yes, I'm going to be very sad to leave, but um, thank you very much for having me. It's been incredible. Yeah, it's been really, really fun to sort of build this with you as well. It's been um, mm. really fun to do it together and to go through all these different ideas and and, and also making you guess. Um, all the numbers has been the most fun I've had all week. Um, yeah, an ADHD and think, dyslexic person <laughs> loves guessing numbers. I think you've done pretty well, <laughs> to be honest. I think I, I haven't been keeping score. That's oh, see, that's I'm the numbers guy here. I should be doing that. That's on me. You Sorry. should. I'm sorry. Well, I hope that the next person understands maths a bit better. I'm sure they will. (laughs) Have you got anyone in mind? Who would be your dream person to replace me with? Well, we're thinking of finding... We were talking about an AI version. 
Yeah, so we have two options. One is an AI version. <laughs> the other is a, a Jess Robinson impressionist. Now, given you're an impressionist, it might mean we get Olivia Coleman in and she gets her <laughs> own back because she gets that to go, oh, cool. I'm Jess. Oh, look at me. You know, things like that. So maybe we'll do that. Um, but no, we, we are, we're, my guy, the producer and I are putting a call out to try and find the right person to come and join and have these silly little chats once a week about the film industry and TV and business and stuff. So if anyone's got any suggestions, please do email us at the email address that I totally remember but won't mention. Um, uh, it's called uh, showmethemoneypod at gmail.com. Showmethemoneypod at gmail.com. Perhaps you want to apply. <laughs> <laughs> The producer's going to kill us now. See, the thing is, when you go, you're going to take all the information like that away. And I'm not going to know how anyone's going to email me. Anyway, You'll well, know. They'll figure it out. They're smart. They'll but anyway, know. Yeah, so we're looking for someone to come on and, and fill Jess's sparkly, amazing shoes. And um, yeah, please drop us a line. But we're going to take a couple of weeks to have a summer holiday. Um, and then we'll be back with season two. And um, yeah, we'll be carrying on as you're doing your big star turn uh, in Edinburgh. So... I will be listening. I can't wait. So uh, we've got some lovely um, topics today. Our first one is the UK's independent film sector is being strained to the point of market failure. Dun, dun, dun. And that is according to a report commissioned by the British Film Institute. That's very dramatic. I made it, it more dramatic, but it's very dramatic. It is. I think it is very dramatic. I mean, the actual report itself is pretty grim reading if you're in the independent sector. But um, all of the different newspapers and outlets kind of revealed their own take on it with their headlines. So, yeah, Variety said like market failure and grim report. And then uh, Screen Daily were a lot more upbeat. They said um, BFI report urges new tax relief boost streamers investment to help save UK indie film sector. And so if you sort of glance your eye over that, you will be like, oh, save. That's good. Um, and then The Guardian said rising costs pose threat to independent filmmaking in the UK. So it's the thing is, if you read all the headlines, you wouldn't quite know. You get the sense some bad stuff's in it, but a lot of them are sort of focusing on the proposed solutions in the report, which haven't been implemented. Obviously, it's just an independent report that BFI have commissioned and paid for. Um, but yeah, it's it's a hard time for independent film. Um, and there's two things sort of going on. One, it is definitely getting harder than it has been in recent history. But also it's always really hard. You know, part of the point of independent film is they're making films that the marketplace, the big, you know, the studios aren't making. So independent here means the studios aren't helping. Um, and they, the studios make their own films, but they also sometimes pick up and distribute uh, independent films. So there's a sort of middle ground of quasi-independent where like they were made independently, but then they had some support later on. But most of this refers to true independent films where they don't really have anyone backing them from the studio system and so they might have the bbc or channel four in that sort of quasi period but a lot of them are mm -hmm. independent investors and stuff like that um and so they said that there were the there's three things that are happening which are not good uh the budgets are not getting any bigger for these films they've been pretty flat whereas hollywood films and studio films that so the budgets have been going through the roof uh, over the last decade or so mm. number two they're not making any more money there's stagnation there but the costs are rising um, and then the last thing we've talked about a lot, actually, is that um, because the film industry is so busy here, all the costs have gone up and uh, people are busy making, you know, other projects. And um, last yeah. year, film and TV, they, five and a half billion pounds was spent making film and TV in the UK, which is 
uh, a 60% rise from 2017. And oh, so wow. what that means is that all that money is going on to like shows for Apple and Netflix and Disney and things. And so the people who usually are like, oh, can you come and work for three or four weeks on this independent film? We can't pay you very well, but it's a good story and we'll treat you well. Everyone's saying, oh, I'd love to, but um, I'm busy. I'm off filling my bank. Um, and given it's an uncertain industry, you can't blame anyone for that. Um, so yeah, it's kind of hard. Um, but the report had some really fun. So I, this might just be fun for me. Uh, I, I did a report a while back. I've done a few commissioned reports. I haven't done them fairly recently, but, um, I did one for the Directors UK and the Writers Guild looking at gender inequality pre-pandemic. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I remember the conversations we had with them and other parties were every single line someone is objecting to and you can't say anything too extreme and you have to but you want to get across the facts and no one's trying to lie they're just all everyone's got different priorities and there was a line that jumped out at me in the report which I really liked so um I'm actually let me tell you the line and then we'll see if we can sort of intuit what we think might be going behind the scenes so um they said the extent to which streamers currently contribute positively to the UK film independent sector is ambiguous um meaning they're not helping Uh, they're just not helping the extent to which they're currently positively contributing is ambiguous um so basically one of the things they recommend is that if there can be some kind of like levy or tax on the making of films here especially by the streamers get even a tiny percentage of that five and a half billion and put that into training and support and things like that then that could help um they want to reduce vat to zero uh, on uk exhibition of independent films because that will make the cinemas, you know, they'll make 20% more for each ticket. Um, and they want, there's a tax relief that we've been talking a lot about. They want that to be increased um, for independent films or it's actually they're, what they're saying is a bit complicated, but essentially they want it so that you uh, get more support from the tax relief system. Um, and so we don't know what will happen. I mean, it's, it's really, it's really important for them to, to acknowledge that this is going badly and that the independent film is having a tough time. Um, mm-hmm. and, uh, they, um, there was a quote from a, there's a producer who I vaguely know called Andy Patterson, who did the rail women as well as many other things. And he's usually quite forthright and quite, he's quite good for a quote, I think, um, on things. And I read in the guardian, he said, um, originality equals risk. The point about independent films is they tell you stories you haven't seen before and create new stars, but trying to sell an independent film with new talent is the hardest marketing task you can take on, which is why you need support. So I kind of. I like that. I mean, like independent films are where talent is an incubator of talent and they train Mm -hmm. people and they support people and they tell stories that you're not going to get from a Marvel film. But if we if we want that, which I I think we do, but if we decide we do as a nation, then we need to support it more than we currently are. And um, yeah, so this is the flip side that we've been talking about on and off every time we've said, oh, isn't it great? Everyone's employed. Isn't it great that there's all these sort of studios being filled and stuff like that? There is this looming thing in the background of like, yeah but who's being squeezed out to make space for that? Um, wow. Yeah. Is that, I mean, isn't really like, most people in comedy are independent, right? There isn't the same studio thing squeezing people out, or is there? I don't think so. I think it's lots and lots of different small production companies. No, well, I guess some of them are quite big, but it feels like everybody's pitching to get their shows made, and if they're not pitching, then they'll possibly have things in development. But yeah, I don't. I don't think that people get squeezed out in that way. I don't know. 
I don't think it sounds so. more more like a free market of independent people. I know that, like you said, yes. there'll be some people big and small, but it doesn't sound like you have this like such a big divide between the studio films over here that could cost no. two hundred million, and then someone no. trying to make a film for a million dollars or the King's no, Speech was only feel, seven or eight. It feels like more of know. a level playing field in that in that respect for sure. Yeah. So yeah, I, I think it's just decide. We've got to decide what kind of thing we want and usually we have a lot of um public funding that supports in various ways or or indirect public funding like bbc films which is a private company but obviously has the mission and the same way channel 4 has the mission of being supporting the public and since we left since brexit we left creative europe which was a a scheme that was you know just a scheme where lots of countries put money in took money out but it was very supportive and it really helped british films and filmmakers and then we also got issues to do with, you know, Channel 4 is under threat, perhaps, of being privatized mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. BBC's license fee as well. So all of the traditional places that independent film thinks, oh, well, at least we're safe there or we'll have a friendly ear. Those places are either gone or have dealing with their own crises. So I think a lot of these independents feel a bit left to sort of struggle. Which yeah, isn't, it's worrying. Isn't nice. Mm. And then we we come on to another absolute giant. I mean, it seems like this the the whole industry is made of tiny guys and absolute giants. But uh, European cinema giant views lenders are taking full ownership of the company in a one billion takeover. Yeah, but you're absolutely right. So there are three big chains in the UK: View, Cineworld, and Odeon. And um, View is the third biggest chain in Europe, I think. And so these are huge chains that they have something like, let's see if I can remember, I think they have three quarters of all the sites, but they have somewhere between, actually, I can't remember the exact numbers. They they have they have a, small, a smaller percentage of the sites, but they have most of the screens. That's right. Because, mm-hmm. you know, an independent one is much more likely to have one or two screens, whereas these views can have, you know, some of them have 20 screens because um, they're purpose built. And so it is a very different business to the small little independent cinemas. Yeah. Um, and so these guys, so View was doing very well pre-pandemic and they've been growing and growing. They've been owned by, um, amongst others, a Canadian pension fund, uh, which unfortunately also invested oh. in airports and, and cruise lines. And then the pandemic happened and they, oh and they had some money in cinemas. I know it's one of those. I mean, I, I, I don't know finance, but I don't think you could predict a, a pandemic, but also I'm no. sure diversification is a thing I don't know but um so they've had a what they've done is that obviously the U is doing very well and everyone's thinking well once we can get back into this into the flow of things we, the, we why would they not carry on doing well especially seeing as like we talked about last week everyone's agreed that the theatrical window for release will carry on so that you know they try to replace cinemas with streaming and a lot of the audience were like mm, no I want to see Top Gun on a big screen Mm-hmm. Um, so cinemas should be fine, but then these cinemas have got like sometimes like a billion dollars of debt sometimes or restructuring. Um, so what they did here was they swapped a lot of the debt for ownership and it was about half a billion pounds was wiped off the balance sheet and converted into equity. So some people took some losses. Um, and what it, but what it means for view is that they're now sort of, I think it's a bit of, maybe it's a bit of a simplification, simplification, but basically they've dealt with the debts that they've had and they're kind of quite sure that they're going to grow back again and the box office figures are looking very strong and they have the carrying on the strategy they've had of buy and build where they've been buying lots of sites and I mean they have nearly 2,000 screens across Europe and so they are and then they've been films that have done very well like Top Gun Maverick and Rise of Gru and things like that and then last year we had Spider-Man and Bond and stuff so mm-hmm. everyone's quite optimistic that it should be now that they've sort of got that behind them 
that's probably going to be okay. And and I think cinema going is is generally agreed to be probably back. I don't know whether it'll change. It might might not come back the same force. It might be that there's older audiences. I'm not sure. But uh, is your cinema going? Do you regard the cinema the same way you would have done three years ago, pre-pandemic? Yeah, I, do you know what I do? The the main thing that actually has changed my cinema habits is the dog, <laughs> not wanting to leave him for too long. Um, but yes, it, the cinema has always felt like quite an expensive treat, especially when you've got three of us now. We've got not not the dog, my stepson. I was about to say. <laughs> wow, you I really, really think you that really pamper that dog. Honestly. Why, I don't know, there aren't dog uh, viewings, especially in Brighton, because you get ones where you can take your babies. Let's let's do one where we can take our nice doggies. Maybe it's because dogs have better taste than babies and the dogs are like, this is terrible. This is yeah, I'm not going to watch Sonic, <laughs> which I still haven't seen and I'm probably never going to. Um, dogs are better than us, I think. So that would make sense. They wouldn't put up with some of, they wouldn't put up with June. Yeah. Some yeah. through. They'd be like, this is just a big perfume advert. I'm off. <laughs> <laughs> also, uh, a cinema trip usually also uh, involves going to Five Guys afterwards or any other burger chain that may, you know, float mm-hmm. your boat. Um, so, yes, it's like a sort of a, a once a month or a summer holidays, maybe three times treat type thing. So, yeah, it hasn't really hasn't really changed since pre-pandemic. Well, yeah, uh, I think we're going to we'll see how everyone adapts to it, because I think one of the things that are more concerning for the cinema chains. And in fact, there was a, a whole piece of research I did and we had a, a, an industry symposium in October 19. Yeah, where we had all the cinema chains together and we had it was uh, funded by Interfilm who support young people getting into film. And they they commissioned me to do some report about why young people were going to the cinema less and less. And we interviewed a thousand young people and then we got everyone together into this screening room for a day and we had different talks and stuff. And it was really it was really interesting. We had everyone there from all the chains and we had uh, I think Barbara Broccoli was there as well um, who's behind all the Bond films and things and so we had that big symposium and that was the number one issue and then the whole ball was dropped because obviously survival existential crisis took over with the pandemic but as that starts to settle down I think those kinds of issues issues that seemed incredibly like important at the time and just sort of scale has changed maybe they'll start to come back and we'll start thinking okay well maybe young people especially people who have grown into their entertainment viewing over the last two years or so I don't know quite what year what age you sort of set cinema going for you but I guess it's when you can start going by yourself or in groups mm-hmm. or whatever without your parents yeah those people have been growing up with streaming and all things like that so maybe it might be that and as as older people feel safer and safer to go to cinemas because that's been you know the older audience have been the most discretionary in whether they go or not they could they've got other things on they're happy by themselves they can just read a book um and so they are deciding now maybe it's safer to go back so it might well be that we're aging going to cinema is an aging thing maybe it'll be like vinyl eventually uh who knows um but that's now going to become uh, the biggest problem to think about rather than will there be cinemas will we will everything be on streaming on the same day as it's in the cinema so all those concerns are, are less and less so i think it's just I don't think anybody ever expects there to be a time where there's no stress, but I'd like my stress to be much more manageable. You know, oh, worrying gosh. about day to day. You know, not that existential. Is just dread. living the dream, man. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> 
Yeah, like, have we walked the dog should be your concern, not like, well, will everything as we know collapse and, and money won't be worth money. So now that the cinema, now that View have done this with their restructuring deal, they've sort of cleared the way for like, okay, we're not going to have, you know, the pandemic still shaking us back to our original plans, back to growth, well, you know, all thumbs up. And um, the guy uh, behind uh, View, he said uh, that he thought that the... Um, uh, that would enter a new gold, a second golden age of cinema, which is perhaps a bit keen. But then again, that's his job. He's supposed to be a bit keen, I guess. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, but yeah, it might well be. It might well be that everyone's just so glad to get out. And um, but yeah, it, it depends how you see cinema, I guess. Cinema going. Yeah, interesting. Well, and and that sort of leads us on really nicely to our last story which is that the directors of the new Ryan Gosling Netflix film The Grey Man and several of the Marvel Avengers movies Joe and Anthony Russo have described going to movie theatres as an elitist notion I don't disagree (laughs) (laughs) so when someone says I'm going to the cinema you're like ooh get you and your money bags you must be flush yeah (laughs) go there in your Ferrari yeah, um, that Batman cup that I bought for my stepson for about a million pounds. We have been putting it in the washing machine. It's still going. You know, we are, we'll, not the washing machine, dishwasher. We, you know, that is going to, he's going to be sipping his milk out of that when he's 18. That's his inheritance. That's the most valuable. Yeah, exactly. Like, <laughs> I took this on an expensive trip to the cinema. Now, you won't know what a cinema is, but it's like Apple, but bigger. Um Yes. Uh, so they said it's an elitist thing. They, they kind of, they spoke their minds, which I, I really like and respect. And they and they sort of just said whatever they think. And they have a fair place to say this, having made, like you said, they, they made Captain America Winter Soldier, Captain America Civil War, Avengers Infinity War and Avengers Endgame. And then they mm-hmm. made a film that I, I didn't know anything about called Cherry for Apple TV. Yeah. So the first four were like theatrical movies. And then the next two, Cherry was for Apple. And they've just done this Grey Man for Netflix. So they've done the biggest theatrical films and they've made some of the biggest streaming films for the biggest streamers. So they, yeah. and they kind of, I think they think probably think of themselves probably quite rightly as not so much bulletproof, but they can speak their minds. They're good at what yeah. they do. They're in demand. Yeah. So they can kind of say what they think. So what they actually said was, so one of them, uh, Joe Russo said, um, it's sad to see, it's, uh, it's sad to see as guys who grew up loving film. A thing to remember too, is that it's an elitist notion to be able to go to the theater it's very effing expensive. And so this idea was created that we hang on to, that the theatre is a sacred space, is bullshit. And mm. I, and it rejects the idea of allowing everyone under the tent. So the thing is that they've done both. And they also said, confusingly, like in the same interview, they said that they they were agnostic about delivery. They don't care where, it, where it's in a theatre or not. But then they were talking about the new, the other brother was talking mm. about the, the new film, The Grey Man, and it's a Netflix film. He said, it's big cinema. We made it for a theatre. Oh. That's how we shot it. That's how we styled it on a technical level. That's how we supported it. So they seem to want to have their cake and eat it, that they kind of, we make big films, but it's we don't like care the where they go. the brothers. <laughs> <laughs> that's, you know what? It's if just the, like the, that, right? Just if the like Russos that. are listening, there's going to be a pause and a clacking as they Google this, and then they're going to go, hey! <laughs> <laughs> hey, <laughs> it's just a delay in what that means. Um, but but they also said some like they said some really honest things. Like um, they, there's been an old adage in the film industry, especially when you're sort of high up, that you do one for me, one for them. And what that means is you do a film that you really care about, and you do a film that you don't really care about, but you do mm-hmm. it for the money. 
and they and that's supposed to be like a thing you say privately and that you sort of hint or whatever and you can look at people like Tim Burton and sort of intuit maybe he did this one for him and this one for them but they literally said in the interview this is one for them this is a business focused movie to keep you know and um they allowed them to fund i don't know whether they personally financed it or they just arranged the financing but they fund funded everything everywhere all at once um uh-huh. Did you see that yet or not? No, I'm desperate to see that actually. We're, what what certificate is it? Mm, I don't know, but it's definitely violent and trippy and weird and I wouldn't oh, suggest great. it for My your little one. My stepson will love it. <laughs> How old is your dog? Um, I <laughs> think the dog might be a bit my young. My dog's nearly two. My stepson is 11. Mm, I think maybe both of them can you can put on something else. Uh, and then, Damn it. But I would recommend it. But it, it, it is a very weird film mm-hmm. and it is a beautiful piece of art and is definitely not one for them. It's definitely not mm-hmm. business focused, as they said, the grey man is. So that maybe that's, you know, they're just speaking their mind. Um, but they, they are saying it's elitist. And I can, on the one hand, I can see the idea of having the freedom to be able to go out, which means that you're... First of all, you need to have some disposable income, which not everybody does. Mm-hmm. You need to have time and freedom and support. And like just being able to leave the house and pay £15 for a cinema ticket it already has a lot of privileges involved with it, yeah. as well as living somewhere near a cinema. So on the one hand, I do understand that. And the idea of having a Netflix subscription, which might be the same price as a cinema ticket, but gives you a month of movies, I do get that. On the other hand, I don't... Of all the th- other things you could do... Go, other than maybe go to a library but like you know theater sports music it's a lot cheaper it's a lot more flexible and it's much more relaxed it's much you know if you can't go to one you can go to another one so mm-hmm. i don't know i think there but it, when you look at the there is actually uh data on the class the social class of people who go to the cinema in the uk which is bonkers to me because it feels like it's from 50 years ago but you know the you have different classes like a b c1 c2 d and e and um this is something you'd expect monty python to be making sending up in the 1960s but they do still capture that so i was going to ask you actually um almost all genres of movies um actually have a posher audience than the general population but one genre actually represents the audience the, the population correctly what do you think what which genre do you think is the most representative posh wise of the real population of the UK. Oh, oh, right. So, so not the so say the most. So the po- the are, posh, you, are you asking the me posh is one the, is... what genre the most posh people go to see? No, actually, oh. well, I was going to ask you the least, but you can give me that if you want to. Like, like, yeah. Which which is the poshest genre according to audience, and which is the what's the anti-posh that's not rude? Uh, <laughs> well, anti I can't think of. Yeah, anti-posh. We'll go with anti-posh because I actually don't think it's a bad thing to be anti-posh at all. And then every word I can think of is a rude one. Um, okay. So, yeah, which is the poshest genre and which is the least posh son- genre? I would say the poshest genre would be um, live streams from the National Theatre and <laughs> operas and things like that. Uh, I think anti-posh would be horror. Spot on. Nailed <gasps> it. I'm not going to ask you anymore because then you go out on a high, reigning champion. Uh, yeah, I so I, I, we... have, I think you might have possibly said this in one episode before, possibly, and I might have just retained the knowledge, which also yeah, in itself I... is worthy of congratulations. <laughs> I was thinking that as I was saying it, and I was like, "Did we do this before? We yeah. haven't done enough to forget that." Um, but yeah, you're right. So probably the National Theatre. It's drama and biography that are like the poshest. But yeah, horror is the one that most represents it. But almost every other genre, the um, audience is less posh. Sorry, it's more right. posh than the general population. So 
they are right. It is elitist to some degree. Mm. Um, but it, And it may change, especially as you get more of these boutique-y 20 pounds plus a nice rosé um, sort of I mean, uh, picture house. I'm not going to lie. I love sitting on a sofa watching a movie on a big screen with sometimes a cheese board delivered. I mean, Your that highness, can either be just at home with my posh. husband. Oh, I love it. That feels like such a, a absolute um, indulgence. I love it. Well, that's what they're saying. And I think that what they're trying to say is just having access to movies is mm. not something that should be like exclusively went to people who can afford cheese boards. Um, <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> um, so, yeah, I, I just like, you know what, overall, it doesn't really matter what they're saying, that they've got valid points of view. I just like that they are speaking their minds because, you know, when people do interviews with the press, you imagine they're just going to be like, I always wanted to work on this. It was a joy to work with that actor. Mm. You know, thank you, Netflix, for giving this chance. It's just nice that they're just sitting and having a chat. And yeah, I think, I think so. It's a shame that you have to make billions of dollars at the box office to be able to speak your mind. But given that they have, uh, great, good on them, you know? Mm. Absolutely. Well, well done for we retaining knowledge. We haven't got knowledge. any listener questions um, this week, but I, I've got a question. What mm-hmm. has been your favourite subject that we've covered this uh, series to talk about and um, what are your hopes and dreams and aspirations for future episodes how's that uh, well I I hope that uh, you turn up like you just turn up out of nowhere somehow and you're like hello it's Jess ah sorry it's all we're looking after it um, it's we've tied it up don't worry um, no my favorite topic I think was when we were talking about adapting your book um, and I think oh, yeah. talking through the way writers are treated and the profitability and you know what I liked most about it was the week after or something like that, I was mentioning something else and I said something like, um, uh, you know, would you like some money up front and this other made up deal or some money on the back end? And you went immediately in a very low tone and you were like, I just want the money up front. I don't trust you. And I was like, oh, great. <laughs> That's, that'll serve you well. Yeah, exactly. And, and the thing is, it's the journey everyone goes on. It's not particular to you or whatever. It's like, I felt like I'd done a good job in bringing yeah. some cynicism to the idea of profitability. So it's because it's all like this isn't hidden knowledge. I'm not the only one with it, but it is also not something most people know. And they find out at the end, which is always painful. And so I, I like talking about it because I thought it was a public service, but also because it was really good fun to hear you be completely outraged as I slowly <laughs> took away all your profits. So that was fun for me. I don't know how you enjoyed having the dream of I your really book slowly demolished. Well. No, it was very interesting to put something into layman's terms you know where that I could get my head round of oh my god this is so unfair <laughs> sometimes when you're talking about films and Hollywood it all seems a bit sort of pie in the sky and and you can't really liken it to yourself but yeah mm. it's, it's been um it's been an absolute joy working with you and and learning stuff and um I've loved it so thank you so it's much for so having much me fun. And good luck for the rest of the um, series. Zizizizz. Yeah. See, I'm going and, with seasons, um, but only because series is sounds strange. Series is. But you're right. 
But yeah, I think, yeah, I, yeah, definitely really enjoyed hanging out with you on this one. And it's been really fun. To, also, I've learned so much about how it works as a performer and it's put me off performing, although I have got no <laughs> yeah, skills put me off or interest to start with. <laughs> if I wasn't sure, I'm definitely, and I actually, I had some people come up to me in the film industry uh, the few weeks after we talked about Edinburgh. And uh, they all they wanted to talk about was how shocking it was that um, yeah, the numbers for Edinburgh and stuff like that. Yeah, who is this you're working with? Yeah, well, well, no, they were just, I think they were just all really impressed. I think it's one of those things where you don't realize what, how much has to go on behind the scenes. And so everyone was like, mm. what, they're all doing that? And I was like, yeah, mm. like, wow. So you definitely did a service there for everyone. And I and I appreciate your openness on that as well. And um, yeah. yeah, good luck with the whole show. And don't be a stranger. You can send listener no. questions. Um, just make them polite. <laughs> don't, you know, I don't tell know us what accent to read them out them. in. <laughs> no, exactly. And I'm sure I know I know from people who have who've spoke to me how much they've enjoyed listening to you as well and how much they'll miss you. So definitely um, stay in contact with us. And we'll be back with season two in a few weeks with somebody else who uh, will not be an impressionist of Jess because I'm fearful. Um, maybe yes, it'll be Olivia Coleman. Exactly. If you know Olivia Coleman, please, you know, this is oh, perfect gosh, timing to get her revenge. Help. She'd love it. But we Absolutely. will ask for a four year contract. We will tie her <laughs> sure. in for a long time. Perfect. Uh, and she'll one, just get, you know, show. bit interest on the profits. Yeah. A percentage of the Exactly. Profits. Yeah. Well, don't worry. I'm, I'm writing the deal. Don't worry. Sure, sure, sure. We'll, Great. We'll be fine. She won't get a penny. <laughs> um, thank you so much for listening, everybody. Uh, thank you and good night. I hope that you continue, I know you will, to listen to Show Me The Money. So do download it now on your podcast app. Subscribe and make sure you don't miss the next episode when season two comes out. And if you would like to leave a review and rating, only if it's nice, uh, please do so. And if you want a question that you have, want answered on the show, then email showmethemoneypod at gmail.com. Uh, as mentioned, uh, yeah, that's the end of season one, Show Me The Money. Uh, but Stephen will be back in a few weeks' time, possibly with Olivia Coleman. We just don't know. Thank you so much. <laughs> Goodbye. Thanks, everyone. Bye. Bye.